Hello, and welcome to the Leadership Collective Podcast, a conversation focusing on the challenges that leaders face in ministry. Each month, we sit down with seasoned ministry leaders to discuss the nuts and bolts of how they've navigated challenges in ministry and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm Ted Leavenworth, pastor of Reliance Church in Temecula, California. And I'm Rob Sabato, lead pastor at Calvary Vista in Vista, California. To a healthy, growing church and you're assisting, you have a pool of disciples that you're doing ministry with. And when you're going off the plant, you are starting in the process of making disciples. Today on the Leadership Collective, we're talking about church planting. Joining us from Florida, we have Jim Gallagher, lead pastor at Calvary Chapel in Vero Beach. You know, Ted, I've known Jim since he first got saved when he was in high school, when I was serving in the high school ministry at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And Jim is a great guy who is making a huge impact there in Florida. And his story, though, is a great example of the perseverance that is needed in church planning. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, as am I. So now here's our conversation with Pastor Jim Gallagher. Welcome to the conversation, Jim. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. And today we're talking about church planting. And so why don't you just begin by telling us your story about how you got started in ministry and what it was like to plant in Vero Beach, Florida. Well, um, starting in ministry was uh, kind of just, an, I think, a natural progression of my my personal growth and my relationship with the Lord in an environment that um, was, was, I think, a healthy environment and also one that encouraged serving the Lord. So I, um, after I committed myself to the Lord, I got involved serving at Calvary Costa Mesa in the youth ministry. And the environment was one that was just, as, um, as it became evident that people were in love with the Lord, um, opportunities were given for them to be involved, and then as kind of giftings evidenced themselves, opportunities were given to sort of exercise those gifts or, or maybe grow in those giftings. So it was just a natural progression. And one of those things was um, it became evident that there was a teaching gift, and that was the result of sitting with uh, the youth pastor and a handful of other young men and just going through the scriptures together and just realizing that, you know, there were some guys that obviously had the ability to divide the scriptures and communicate them. And so then opportunities given in order to do that. So that was my initial um, experience stepping into serving the Lord and serving the Lord in the teaching role. And then that kind of broadened in, uh, I spent 12 years at Calvary Costa Mesa and uh, kind of broadened in that time to a, a host of different roles that I served in um, that uh, allowed for that gifting to develop. And then as it relates to stepping out um, into pastoring here in Florida, I would say for a period of about five years while I was at Costa Mesa, there was a sense that, that you know, God was stirring us, that there was something else that he wanted to participate in. And, um, and so uh, we had just been praying, and it was, it was one of those things like, I'm not sure, Lord, how this is going to happen. I, I didn't feel a freedom to, you know, put together a resume and send it out. Um, and I didn't feel a, a calling to spin the globe and just go with my finger. <laughs> so, uh, so I just kind of was like, Lord, you're going to have to open the door. You're going to have to do something. And, and uh, one morning, uh, I was uh, getting ready to head out. To, I, I was a teacher at Calvary Custom Mason High School. Getting ready to head out the door. It was a Tuesday morning. My phone rang. And it was uh, a friend of mine, John Randall who had moved to um, uh, to Florida just a few months prior to plant a church in Brandon, Florida. And he said, hey, there's a group of people. They meet in this town called Vero Beach. They have a guy who travels about 70 miles uh, every week to teach them, to kind of pastor them. And he's 
feeling like the this isn't what the Lord has for them long term, and they need somebody to come be their pastor. And so that began a process of praying for Vero Beach, and we got on a plane, we came out and checked it out. Um, it was one of those things where I think if if heaven was ever silent, it was silent at that moment. <laughs> like I had no sense of yes or no. And so we just kind of said, hey, we just need to keep praying and come back. And the second time I came back to, to me, I, I did sense that really clear from the Lord that, hey, this is where I want you and your family to to, to plan to be. And yeah. so we made our way out and started now, caring, caring now, for the folks as best we could. Yeah. Now, Jim, um, what year was that and what was Vero Beach like at that time? Because I bet you it's changed a lot over the years. Yeah, well, um, that was 1998. And um, so uh, Vero, I think one of the unique things I think about growing up in Orange County um, is that Orange County is different from almost everywhere you know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And it's just, it's, it's unique where, where there are you know, sort of the middle America replicates itself all over America. And so you can be in a, in a suburban community, you know, in the Northeast or a suburban, suburban community in the, in the Midwest. And there are some similarities. Uh, culture is a little different, but there's some similarities where Orange County, it's just, it's such a weird dynamic. I think partly just because there's, there's so much affluence there mm-hmm. and so many people pressed together in communities on top of each other. So no matter where we went, I think it would have been culture shock for us. Mm. Um, we came to a community, uh, Vero is a standalone community, meaning we're not a suburb of anywhere. Mm. Um, and so uh, it's uh, the, the whole um, county is about 130,000 people. And um, beautiful place, right on the right on the beach. But it, for us, it was it was a culture shock because we went from the hustle and bustle of Huntington Beach, California, and Costa Mesa, to a small town in you know central coastal Florida. Man, that's uh, that that is an interesting perspective. Just as you talk about how how Orange County is uniquely different than than every place and so you have that culture shock when you go out and, and you know as i th- jim as i think about culture shock I, I think about the culture the culture shock of going from you know position of being an assisting pastor to the role of a lead pastor um and um you know that there's there's a little bit of whiplash experience in that as well um you were faithful in little before God gave you the opportunity to be faithful in much. But tell us, how did your experience as an assisting pastor, um, as in playing a supporting role, how did that kind of shape uh, who you are today as a, as a lead planting pastor? Well, I think maybe two perspectives on that. One thing is that when when we came out, you know, I think. Um, you know, the the expectation was maybe show up and teach the Bible, and this person is going to hear it. They're going to think it's the most amazing thing that they've ever heard, <laughs> and they're going to tell their neighbor, and their neighbor's going to come. And so, you know what the you know, the, the first week. For us, the first week there were 25 people. The second week there were 15 people, <laughs> and uh, and so we were, you know, kind of starting with 15 people. And the anticipation was, well, you know, a month in there'll be 20, and two months in there'll be 40, and that'll just happen because you know we're communicating God's word and trusting the work of God. And so fast forward, and we're we're two and a half years in, and we're 25 people. And um, and then there's in me that sort sort of um, introspection happens, mm-hmm. and and I start looking and realizing that the the problem isn't that the hearts of people in Vero Beach are harder than they are anywhere in the world, or there's more warlocks in Vero than there are anywhere else. <laughs> um, it's just the problem is 
that there are so many shortcomings in me that mm. that make it really like next to impossible to be able to pastor people. And so that 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 kind of happened this really introspection. And what I started to realize was my whole life um, I had been kind of in a support role. So you know if I look at you know friendships growing up, I was never kind of the lead guy. You know, I was always, you know, some strong personality friend and, hey, that's what I want to do, I want to do it too. And in any vocation that I ever had, I, you know, I was always like an assistant manager, right? you know, kind of yeah. that spot. And, and then I was on staff for nine years at Costa Mesa assisting. I was never, I was never even in a position where I was sort of given, you know, like if I were the college and career pastor or the youth pastor and sort of given this domain to function. I was a, a teacher and I assisted the youth pastor. And so I kind of started to realize like maybe the giftings that God's given me is for that. And maybe it was sort of presumptuous on my part to even step out here. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of came face to face with all of the, 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 like, like, it's not that I don't want to pastor people. I just don't think I have the capacity to do that. And so for me, it, it brought me to that point of just kind of, you know, before the Lord going, God, you're going to have to do something. And I actually confided in three friends of mine that are all pastors. I shared with them what was going on because it was really, you know, that, you know, when you're going through a really difficult season, it's internal more than it's external. Yeah. And um, so I confided in these guys and all three of them, I'm telling them, I can't pastor, I'm terrible at this, you know, nobody's <laughs> coming. And all of them said, well, why don't you come to the staff of our church? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I have parking problems you need me to fix. So, um, so I, I, I you know, prayed about that and I just really didn't feel like I had the, the, the clearance from the Lord to go do that. Mm. And so then it was like, well, Lord, if you're going to, if you're going to leave me here, you're going to have to do something in my life. You're going to have to add things to me that aren't naturally in me. You're going to have to you know, take the framework that you created, and you're going to have to just supernaturally change who I am. And so that became really just the, a process of months and months of just saying, Lord, you, this is missing. You've got to work this. And I began to work things in my life that had never been in my life before. Mm. And so, it was, it, you know, the I think the assisting pastor thing prepared me to serve the Lord in one respect, but the assisting pastor all, thing also didn't equip me for the the role that I would ultimately be in. And I had to have an equipping that came from God providing, you know, the that work of the Spirit. It's interesting you point out the um, opportunities that you had when you were in a time of doubt. And I, and, and I don't know about you, Rob, but I think about m- the two churches that I planted. In both instances, at the very beginning, I was given opportunities to go out. Um, I was a paramedic firefighter when I planted my first church, and I was given the invitation to my dream job in, of all places, Leavenworth, Washington. And I thought, man, this is a sign from God. <laughs> it's Leavenworth, Washington. <clears throat> and... Um, and, you know, it was just that. And, and the second time around, I, again, another invitation to go on staff at a, at a large church. And I, and I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder sometimes if that's just a, a testing of, you know, your calling in, in that instance. Yeah. Well, I think in the times where we struggle, and I think that we all go through this, where when, especially when it's difficult, we start doubting. Am, am I really supposed to be doing this? And Ryan, I went a step further than you did, Jim, <laughs> where I wasn't just confiding in guys. I was calling guys and asking for a job. <laughs> I was like, can I come to assist you at your church? Because <laughs> I know I can do that good, but I don't think I can do this good. That's the ongoing, that's the ongoing joke among uh, among senior pastors. When, when we yeah. you know commiserate together, we're like, yeah. well, I'll just go to work for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, you know, go ahead. There, there is, there is, and I think anybody, you know, either on the, you know, in that stage right now in, uh, in serving the Lord and they're facing some of those, those challenges. And, and, you know, I didn't take the offers as distractions. To me, they were like such incredible expressions of love and encouragement. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that these guys would say, hey, we, we put value. You don't see the value that you have right now, but we have that value. We see that value in you and just, you know, keep serving the Lord. And I think that's the reality. You know, in everything in life um, values us. You know, like, you know, when we're growing up and we get don't get picked on the kickball team, right. puts a price tag on us or whatever. And, and that's radically true as it relates to stepping out and planning a church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got, you've got guys, I mean, we, we all know guys that are tremendously gifted. They love Jesus. They love God's people. They're great Bible teachers. And it's really, really slow going for them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every week they they come home and it's like, you know, it's just, again, a price to make you put on that. Maybe I'm not called to this. What's wrong with me? You know, what do I not? And, and you know, to just have somebody just say, look, I, I know your church. <laughs> I think what you're doing is incredible. I don't know why it's slow. Um, that, yeah. I think, can be very, just very encouraging. It was for me. Yeah. And, and, and right now, you know, Jim, you know, you, your church is, has grown. It's large. You have a beautiful um, new campus that you guys built. How long did it take, though, before you started to actually see some growth? Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the funny thing, you know, um, in the early days of the conferences, you always hear, you know, Chuck says it takes two years. So after two years, and people say, well, you know, Chuck always says it takes three years. And then after three years, people say, well, you know, Chuck always said it takes four years. <laughs> and then after four years, they stop talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we were north of four years. Um, we, uh, we were about four and a half years in. And we had, you know, little things where, um, where you know, we, we were probably about 30 people. And we you know, kind of spike up for a couple of months to like, you know, 40, 45, and we go, ah, I think something happened. And then, you know, all those few, you know, those handful of people, they, they leave. And so we kind of were just a steady 30 people are consistently part of our hero for about, you know, for in four and a half years. In. And then um, in like January of what's that, 2003, um, it, something, you know, we had a, a couple of families come that had been hurt by a situation in a, in a local church in the community that, you know, some tragedy that happened in that church. And and then, you know, a few more people came to this, and then this happened. And, and in a period of about five months, we went to two services in the little building. Now, that seated 100, um, maybe 100 people. So we grew from 30 to north of 100 in that five months. Mm. And uh, and then in September of that same year, we moved out of that and we moved into a into a uh, middle school, and we were in that middle school for five years, and that that allowed us a lot of space with the cafeteria, and uh, so that allowed us a lot of space to grow. But we were ten years in before we had um, any facility of our own, mm. but uh, in a dilapidated Baptist church, and for the past. Now, 13 years, um, we've, you know, we've revamped that place. But so it was, it was four and a half years in with very, very little growth. And then we had some sort of pretty spontaneous growth and for about six months. And then it's just been kind of steady. It hasn't been revival in the sense that, you know, we went from 500 to 5,000. Like it was <laughs> it's just been consistent growth. Steady. Yep. Uh, yeah. Over the years. So. You know, I've found that God uses church planning to reveal things in us. You've already mentioned that, that I think, you know, things he wants to change. And I know in my life, um, you know, I also was an assistant pastor. I was actually an assistant here at Calvary Vista. And when I went to Oregon, you know, I I came from this, this church culture that had just a lot of things going on, very, very active. I oversaw you know, three different ministries. And so I was just doing a ton of stuff. And then I get to Oregon where I'm planting this church and it's like slow going, like nothing is happening. You know, I'm questioning. And I remember so vividly that God showed me early on that my whole sense of joy and satisfaction 
had was coming from. And when I was at Vista for probably the last, I was on staff there seven years and probably for the last four years, my whole sense of joy and satisfaction was being found in being a part of what God was doing mm-hmm. and not God himself. And God just gently hit me upside the head and revealed <laughs> that you yeah. know in my heart that, hey, this is a problem that I needed to, to take care of, that I needed to address, that I needed to kind of get back to, you know, just me and Jesus. And, and you know, all, all during that time, I mean, I, I had devotions, you know, I was athletic, so I was very disciplined in those kind of things, but my devotions had become very mechanical, um, you know, kind of like eating breakfast. And God was saying like, hey, this needs to be, he literally said this to me, Rob, if I took everything away, like Job, you know, everything, the ministry, your family, your kids, and if it was just you and me, could you find your sense of joy and satisfaction in me alone? Wow. Mm-hmm. And I had to answer, honestly, I was like, no. And that's kind of where I was at. And it was like a big revelation. I didn't realize it, you know. Um, you know, Jim, you've, you've kind of, you shared kind of what God was revealing in your heart. What about you, Ted? What did God kind of <laughs> reveal to you when you first were planting? Well, when I planted my first church, it was a unique situation because I was the founding planting guy, but I wasn't the lead guy. I wasn't the the senior pastor of the church that I planted. Um, But when, uh, you know, we got, by God's grace, we grew, we got legs and and all of that. Um, But when, when the time came for me to go out from that church and plant my second church, um, I, uh, you know, I, I embarked, uh, you know, with with a lot of passion to do it, um, but um, I, there was a lot of surprises, you know. And so you leave a church of 6,000 people and then you're doing this humble work where you're the guy that's, you know, hammering in the sign on the lonely <laughs> stretch of, of grass out front and, you know, setting up the chairs and all of these things. Um, and so, you know, that, that was... That was a, a, a shock, you know, to, to my system. And my kids used to tease me because I went from, you know, getting literally hundreds of emails a day and my phone ringing off the hook to no phone calls, no emails, and this humble work. And they'd say, don't you know who I used to be? <laughs> and and so, do, so doing the work, I the first year and a half of my of my the church I now pastor that church plant, um, I went to bed every night, and this is not an exaggeration. This is before the Lord. I went to bed every night, and I was begging God to kill me in my sleep. It was it wow. was brutal. It was I was at the place where I literally wanted to die. I say, I joke that I wasn't I wasn't suicidal, but I was praying that God was homicidal. <laughs> And it took a year and a half for the Lord. This is going to be super encouraging. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, we got to bring this around. (laughs) It was gutting me like a fish. And and the thing is, what God revealed to me, and it took a year and a half, and this is more of a testimony to my stubbornness and hard-hearted, or maybe hard-hearted, hard-headedness, it was my pride. God was revealing me, you know, to me, I'm breaking you. And, and you think that this church is breaking you, but I'm breaking you. And so God had to deal with, with my pride. And it was, it was a pretty overwhelming uh, experience. Mm. You know, another thing that just came to my mind, I feel like I, I'm supposed to share this for somebody who's going to hear this. But, <laughs> you know, another thing that the Lord really revealed to me that was really, really important and has really set the kind of trajectory of how I do ministry today was when I started the church, you know, I had, and we're going to talk about in a minute, these expectations, but I had all these expectations. And because of that, I like had my hands in everything, you know, I just wanted everything to be a certain way. And it's kind of the way that I did youth ministry. Um, And, you know, I think um, in some ways when you're doing youth ministry, you know, you, you're teaching, although this wasn't our example, Jim, being under Richard, but, you know, I think a lot of times my teaching suffered because I was doing everything else. And, and so, you know, but you can get away with that, you know, with kids to a certain extent. 
But one of the things the Lord showed me when I started planning the church was I was not wired to be that guy who can do everything and still be good at teaching. And so I had to quickly learn how to delegate and you know how to let go and how to be able to say to the person who's doing children's ministry you know okay this is your baby (laughs) you know you go for it Um, because god has shown me the way that i'm wired some guys are not wired this way you know but the way i'm wired is i i can do one or the other you know i could i think i could be a really good assistant pastor a number two guy to somebody but i can't be the guy you know, who's doing all that. And I think that's one of the, yeah. the things sometimes when you're planting that you think, well, I've got to do all of this. Yeah. And I think the Lord is trying to strip us to a point of saying, no, I want you to learn how to trust others. You find that yeah. to be true, you guys? Absolutely. Yeah, we just sent out a guy to plant in uh, Tennessee. And, um, you know, knowing how he is wired is so important. Um, and and I, w- I was telling him up front, you are going to need a, a guy who's very strong and gifted administratively. You need this guy because it's not you. Mm. And and this is going to eat you alive. So, you know, you need to be praying now um, for this guy. Um, and yeah. by God's grace, he raised that guy up for him. Mm. But yeah, I think what you point out, Rod, was so, ch- so true. You, you have to know how you're wired, how you're gifted. You know, they talk about your preaching and that it takes a guy about five years to find his voice. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly true. <clears throat> and by the same token, it takes you, um, you know, you, you, reve- you see all these things that are revealed to you that you go, man, I, I wasn't prepared for this. I'm not gifted for that. And I think that's where, a, you know, a, a good assessment yeah. of a guy going, getting some really good assessment uh, of you before you go out to identify those things comes in handy. How about you, Jim? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is that, um, you know, when you're when you're assisting at a church, especially if you're at a healthy church, you know, a healthy, growing church, and you're assisting, you have a pool of disciples yes. that you're doing ministry with. And when you're going off the plant, you are starting in the process of making disciples. Yes, and so the you have to you have to address how you approach ministry differently Mm. you know if you're it's like you're you're brought on staff and it's like here's what i want you to do i want you to take care of the young adults ministry here and suddenly you're looking you got and i've got a whole group of these guys that are totally in love with the lord i want to serve the lord let's do a mission trip yeah (laughs) let's let's outreach in the community let's do but then you go to plant and you don't have disciples yet you're in the process of making them right and so it just the way I, I think ministry is approached is different. And part of that can be the learning how to let people um, uh, take the responsibilities off of your plate. That's yeah. going to help disciple them. Yeah. You have to be careful because you can give, you can give too much um, to someone too quickly. Uh, and that's just a caution, um, but you, but we have to trust the Lord by trusting people, especially in, in the early years of getting started. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that, that we did in the first year that I was there that was so helpful for this was I did a Saturday men's get-together. It was every Saturday, and I picked some books that I wanted these guys to read that really kind of explained what my philosophy of ministry was. Like for instance, we went through the Jesus style by Gail Irwin, you know, classic. And so it was basically a thing where I said, um, anybody can come, any guy in the church could come, you know, got everybody a book and told them to read a chapter and we would come the next week and um, just talk about it. And it was so insightful because I was able to discern from that you know, the guys who had read for one versus the guys that just showed up, you know, the guys who actually had some biblical knowledge versus the guys that didn't. 
Um, the guys who were good at communicating and expressing themselves, and then the guys who were taking that message of servanthood and applying it, you know. And so after a year of doing that, in our first year that we were there, it was like it was like the the one thing we're going to talk about do overs in a minute. But this is the one thing that God was like, okay, this was this was really really good, you know. And um, and it, so after a year, I had a group of like 10 guys that were basically just gold, you know, that came out of that, you know. And, and, and for me, it wasn't like I didn't have to do a whole nother study. It was just I'm reading a chapter and just showing up at this thing. And um, so yeah. it was super, super helpful in that way. Yeah, that's really wise. And, and anything where you can, where you have something that's measurable. Yeah. Um, rather than just how you see somebody at the at the week weekly gathering, that's a, that's a great. That's really wise. Let's talk about expectations for a minute. Um, I know when when each of us went out, we had certain expectations. Um, and as it pertains to expectations, I'm curious for 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 both of you guys, your your biggest surprises when you planted. Uh, and I'll I'll start uh, for me. Um, one of the things that surprised me, and, and Craig Rochelle recently uh, talked about culture, and, and he said that that culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. Mm. Um, and uh, I didn't have that that succinct package to to put this surprise into uh, at the time. But but yeah, that was my surprise that as I was as I was planning the church, that as I established certain expectations. Um, or conversely, if, if I just sort of let somebody have something and really didn't, didn't sort of uh, just allowed them to do whatever it was, that the culture could either be something that, that I could, I hate to use the word control because I don't, I don't mean it in that sense, but that I could steer, let's, mm. let's say it that way, that I knew the direction that God wanted me to go in. And so I wanted to steer the church in a certain way and so a big surprise for me was to all of a sudden one day wake up in my early church and go, this is not the culture that I want. This mm. is, we've, we've had this culture that started and I need to change the culture. And strategically, I remember sitting down with a handful of handpicked guys and saying, I hate our culture right now <laughs> and I want to change the culture in our church and I'm going to change it with you and then doing it intentionally. But that was a surprise to me. What, what, about, what about you guys? What, what, would, what would you say? Go ahead, Jim. Well, I have a friend who um, who wouldn't hang the you know back in the early days wouldn't hang the Calvary dove inside his church. He said, "These people are filled with the Spirit until until they are. We're not going to pretend." <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so, so I kind of go with what you were sharing, Ted, about culture. But um, yeah, I you know. I, I think um, you know one of the surprises to me, um, the, you know, the like we I talked about earlier about the idea of just being the different culture of the community of Vero Beach, Florida, from where I had come from. And I think two things that were surprising to me is one is um, Vero is a small town, and like I said, it's not a not a suburb of anywhere. It's a standalone community, and a lot of people come here because they don't want to be in the hustle and bustle of mm. you know miami fort lauderdale area in florida um and so they're coming somewhere to slow down and you know so when when we're trying to like you know early years it's like hey we're gonna get behind this we're gonna do this outreach or whatever and people are i mean they're, they're basic i you know the basic way they function is we're in slowdown month. That's why we live in Europe. <laughs> and so that was that was something that I had to fi- figure out how to navigate. You know, um, another thing I think that was um, that was surprising to me is that I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in a religious home, and uh, so um, I don't really understand just going to church as a weekly duty. Um, in my experience, where I was in Southern California, you know, I didn't come in contact with people that just went to church as a weekly duty. Yeah. You went to church if you were saved. Right. <laughs> you know, so, so then coming here and realizing, 
it's kind of a culture here a little bit where people not necessarily to go regularly, but to go to church is part of their culture, even though they're not necessarily believers. And so that was that was like having navigating just communicating with people that I came in contact through the community that oh, we're using the same language, but we have totally different definitions of what we're talking mm. about. So that was, I think that was some of the, the other stuff was all the things that I already mentioned about myself personally that I had to come into contact with. Yeah. Um, but I think just the experience of being in a new environment. Right. I think for me, there was two things. Um, you know, one was obviously the slowness of the growth and, you know, like you, I came, you know, from Calvary Costa Mesa and, you know, there was just an expectation like, Hey, you put the Calvary, sign up, you teach the Bible <laughs> and people come. I mean, that's kind of what we were taught, you know? And, and, yeah. uh, yeah. so I was, you know, kind of expecting that I wasn't expecting it to, to take so long. But another thing that was really eye opening to me was the fact that, you know, I came out of the same youth group as you did, Jim, and, yeah. and we had an, a stellar group of guys that God yeah. had raised up, you know, to yeah. be leaders in that. And, and all of us were, you know, when we were in college and, and, you know, serving as counselors and leaders and, and that type of thing, I mean, we were committed. I mean, it was like, yeah. it was like our life. And, yeah. and when I came down to Vista and, and, and started doing youth ministry here, by the time that I had left after seven years, I had a very similar team of about, you know, 25 people that were all, you know, mostly college age and who, you know, lived, drank, ate, slept high school ministry. And, um, and I just felt like, and we were active. I mean, we had stuff going on all the time. And so when I got to Oregon, I was expecting the same type of thing. Like I'm going to have some guys. And as soon as we get some guys that are kind of leaders that, you know, they're going to be as involved in this and interested in this and, you know, thinking about this all the time, like I do. And, but what I didn't realize was, you know, these were all guys that had full-time jobs and they were, you know, yeah. had families and, and it just dawned on me one day, like these guys are not as interested in this church plan as I am, you know? I mean, I think they appreciate that I'm here and that we're doing this, but like they don't live, sleep, eat and drink, you know, this, this church. And, you know, that was a huge, huge thing. And, and, you know, going up, Prior to planting, I met with one of my mentors, you know, John Corson, and and he made this statement. He said to me, he says, Robbie goes, and I was telling him how excited I was and, you know, like these grand plans and what I thought God was going to do. And, and he just said, you know, Rob, I think this, this is more about what God's going to do in you than, than what he's going to do through you. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's going to do something through you because you're going to teach the Bible and God blesses his word. But I think that this is, you know, God doing something in you that is going to be more future. And, um, you know, I, I kind of like dismiss that right away, (laughs) you know, in my heart, but boy, did that turn out to be true that it was really about what God was wanting to do in in me and molding and, and shaping me. And I think it's Ed Stetzer who, who said, uh, that sometimes when God calls a man, he calls him to fail. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes those uh, f- fall flat on your face kind of experiences or just come to Jesus moments where you hit something hard. Yeah. Um, is we need it. God gutting yeah. us. Yeah, we all need that. Now, speaking of failure, let me ask you guys this. <laughs> if, if you could get a do-over, what would you guys have done differently in planting? Anything? <laughs> I think for me, I, I I laid hands on people too quickly. Okay, I was so desperate for. I mean, you're just looking for a warm body um, <laughs> when you're planting, and uh, it goes back to what you were saying. Uh, I think Jim uh, about the available resource pool that you have at the church that you come out of, and the the luxuries that you that you grow accustomed to. Yeah. Um, and I, I've said this uh, to two other church planters. It's kind of sometimes guys that are that are on staff they don't appreciate the platform that they have. It's kind of like an electrical contractor who works for a company, and he's thinking in his mind, "This guy's making all this money on these contracts. I could do this," but he doesn't realize he's driving the company truck, that the company is paying the insurance, that the company is paying the advertising, that you know all of the the benefits. So, um, yeah, I, I but. For me, it was laying hands on two on people too quickly. That that is 
that that caused a lot, a monumental amount of grief. What about you, Jim? Yeah. Well, you know, um, there's a verse uh, where um, you know the king is facing, king of Judah is facing a challenge that's monumental, and he makes this public address, and he says um, he's speaking to the Lord, but it's in front of all the people. He says, Lord, we don't know what we're doing, but our eyes are on you. And that, you know, when I, I look back at it, I think, I think now, like I look and I think, well, if we didn't do this, you know, this might happen. Like we, we probably went too long with having no church office mm-hmm. <laughs> and nowhere that anybody could find us. <laughs> but, but like, as we were going, as we were going through it, like things were developed in us. And helped us become, you know, later. I, I, like, I think honestly, I think I could probably go back and say, "Oh, I would do this different," and that would be the very thing I actually needed to do to learn, like you said, Rob, mm. um, what God was doing in me. Yeah. So I, I, it's almost like parenting. Like, there's, there's a million things I would do different, except I really like who these young men have become. Yeah. So I don't want to mess with that. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so I, I think in one sense, maybe you know. Um, I think maybe it kind of wraps with the expectation thing, and and I, I think the beauty of um, the culture that we, you know, um, you and I, Rob, had come out of is that it, it wasn't this idea of, hey, look, you're going to go build a church. Right. As much as it was, hey, you're walking into the call of God on your life. Mm-hmm. And so, as a result, even though there's disappointments and we're, ex- you know, we hope that things would go differently, and whatever, there's still that realization of, well, I'm in, I'm where God wants me. Yeah, I'm, I'm growing into who God wants me to be, and so applying a different paradigm to it might not produce any um, different results. Mm. And so, I think for anybody that would be, you know, venturing out with that idea, just look at. You're not going to build a church for Jesus. You're not going to, you know, you can, if you're one of those guys that loves statistics and you love to find every detail about a community before you go into it, you're probably going to be better doing that. But that doesn't guarantee what you just want to step into the call of God for your life. And if Mm -hmm. that's God's calling, go into it. And then it's like, oh, this challenge happened. And oh, man, I blew it. He said, you said, laying hands on two men, somebody who said, but you're praying. You were doing what you thought was the right thing to do. Yeah, you were yeah. disobeying Jesus. Like Jesus says, hey, don't do that. And you go, forget it, Lord. He's a good musician. I don't care what you think. Like, <laughs> you're, you're doing what you thought was the right thing. And then you learn through it. It's like, oh, okay, this is how I'm growing through it. It's part of that calling. So, yeah. yeah, but I, I think, Jim, in that uh, sometimes, you know, as God's unpacking things in you or breaking you of certain yeah. things, or revealing things, and sometimes yeah. you know we call things God really quickly. Yeah. It's <laughs> remarkably so how much God's yeah. voice sounds like our voice. You <laughs> so know, true. I agree. I agree. Yeah. 100% on that. You know, I know for me, there's definitely one thing I I would have done differently if I could do a do over, and it was this. You know, I had we're talking about culture earlier, and I had this culture in my mind, you know, that I wanted to create, that it would be a lot like, you know, how, how Vista was and, and even Costa Mesa was. And so, you know, when we started, I mean, like we had Sunday morning, we had Sunday night, we, you know, had men's ministry, we had women's ministry, you know, we've got like 25 people, but we're doing like all these different things. Right. And if I had it to do over again, because about two years into when I planted, um, a good friend of ours, Rob Burdine, also came up and planted about an hour uh, north of me. And Rob did Sunday morning and a Saturday night prayer meeting, and that was all. And um, I think that's still all that they have going on yeah. you know, at their at their church. Um, but I remember thinking how lazy he was. You know? <laughs> I love you, Rob. If you're gonna hear this, but uh, but anyway, but uh, but. Uh, as I look back, I see the wisdom, you know, and um, Corson calls it, you know, the difference between being a sharpshooter versus a, a shotgun blast. And so now I actually tell guys, do one thing, 
do one thing well, yeah. you know, and when that grows and gets to the point, then do another thing. And, yeah. you know, if I had it to do over again, I would have done a Sunday morning and I would have done a prayer meeting because one of the things I've seen like in, in Verdine's church is there, that prayer meeting has created a culture of prayer in their yeah. church that in a lot of churches I see that have so many things going on, one of the things that is weak or missing is that really, really strong prayer time. And, you know, that's hard to develop. And I think, you know, in our church, we we had probably too many things going on um, early on for the amount of people that we had coming. It's like that. I want to do a take back, and I want to say I want to say I agree with what Rob said. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have the same experience. We we started Sunday morning and Sunday night because that's, we could have we we paid one one amount for the venue. We could have it all day Sunday. Yeah, want to so get the bang for your buck. And and yeah. Sunday night we couldn't afford to do something midweek. Two years in, the church is twenty five people. We we changed venues, and we could use it in the middle of the week. So we had a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and a Thursday night, and we had 25 people. Yeah. And uh, on yeah, the Sunday night Bible study, at, at some point I looked at it and I started realizing, um, a friend of mine had used this phrase, doing something for the people or doing something to the people. Oh, <laughs> and, that's uh, good. And I felt like, yeah, I looked out and it was like, everyone that's here, they're here because they have a responsibility. So they set up and they do sound and, you know, she's here or he's here because his wife's in with the kids and, you know, they're doing, and, and so the final Sunday night that we had, I was already, I was starting to see this, the final Sunday night. So there's a couple in the very back, they're doing the sound and in front of them is their nephew, who's a big kid. And he's, a, he's, he's probably 19 sound asleep and they're throwing paper at him to try to wake him up. <laughs> then, then fast forward to the front row the front row is this, this couple that's still in our church. They're they're in leadership. They're amazing, and they had some friends come up from South Florida. And this guy works a full time job all week, and so he's he's come up to just you know, be with their friends. And he's a real big guy, and he's sound asleep in the front row, and he's snoring like a bear. <laughs> and so they're all heads down, totally distracted. The other uh, the, you know, then there's the aisle on the other side. My wife is in the front row with her notepad, taking copious notes. And about four rows behind her are a couple that I've never seen before, and they're just looking at each other, waiting for me to blink so they can run out the door. And, and yeah, you've I'm you've, like, you've never saw them before, and you've right. never saw them again, right? And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, these people need a break. Yeah, they don't need to be here. And yeah. that was the last Sunday, and that was that was 20 years ago, and we have not had a Sunday night since. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was that's. I take it. I take it back. Yeah. Well, the saying comes to my mind, if Satan can't get you to take your foot off the gas, he'll get you to put it to the floor, you know? (laughs) All right. So all of us were assisting pastors when, I think, when we launched out to to plant our churches. So when you're in that role, and I I would assume that some assisting pastors listening to the podcast are going to have this question, but God's laid it on your heart to launch out an adventure of faith, to plant this new work. And so uh, I'll ask you first, uh, Jim, how did, how did you go about navigating that with, with those, your overseers, with your senior pastor? Um, how, how did you start that conversation? How was it received? Um, what, what's some, some, uh, some counsel you might give to people in, in, based on that experience? Well, I, I, think, um, I think maybe the experience that I had was a, a little unique um, in that uh perspective is reality and so my perspective of things in my tenure at calvary costa mesa is that there was almost an expectation to go mm-hmm. i mean that was kind of the, the thing like you're and, and i don't mean this in any way negative i don't but it was almost like you're here serving and there's a line of guys that are you know equipped that can step into your role as soon as you step out. And so there's an expectation, like there's a world out there to go. And I I never felt pushed out the door. I was, I was, you know, very well 
um, pastored by my overseers at, at Costa Mesa in Richard Semino and in Dave Rawls. Um, and, uh, but there was this expectation like, hey, you know, God's hands on your life. There's a world out there. Where are you going? So when the opportunity came, it was a real simple, hey, I, I think the Lord's calling us to, to variable and uh, awesome. Praise the Lord. Like, yeah. soon as you, you know, and I was, I was teaching at the school at the time. So, you know, I, I made that decision in May. And I, of course, finished the school year uh, before we ventured out. Um, but there was, and, and so um, I think we want to have a culture, you know, at our fellowship, not necessarily that same thing of like, hey, go, hey, go, but uh, um, what is the Lord calling you to do? We want you to be listening to Jesus. And mm. so, so for, for me, it was, it was very easy. It wasn't any tension. Amen. Um, so, that's great. What about you, Ted? What was that like in, in your experience? Yeah, um, you know, the, the thing is, is um, it, I was very conscious of not wanting to be that guy. Mm. You know, there there's that guy who's on staff at a church and he goes down the street and, and oh. plants a work. And right. I, I strongly believe that there should be churches on every corner, but I think that there's a, you have to have a respect and a, rever- and a reverence for um for where you're coming from you don't want to do any damage or harm to the to the body that you're leaving and so while i think it's great if somebody comes in and plants a church down the street i don't think it's appropriate that it be you from the church that's down the street you know what i mean because i I, I agree with that because i think that's incredibly divisive and and so on so i was really mindful of that the guys that i spoke with were um you know i I was I, i was first and foremost concerned about that so I, I said, listen, uh, God's laid this on my heart. Where do I have your blessing to go? Yeah. And and I sought their blessing. I wanted to leave out the front door. And um, and so by God's grace, um, when I when I went out, um, even though the circumstances were difficult, um, it, it 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 was it was very much a, an above the board kind of thing. And uh, and so they ended up giving me support, um, giving me their blessing, um, and you know. And then where I was going, I just went and met with all of the the guys that were there in town just to make sure I had their blessing to come. Mm. Um, and so that's how it worked for me. How about you, Rob? You know, it's interesting because I was in uh, a culture. Um, here at Calvary Vista, at the time when when the Lord was stirring us up, had really become um, through you know Pastor Brian Broderson a church planting culture, and so myself and uh, Joey Baran, um, who your what daughter in law is, she's yeah. his his daughter's your daughter in law, correct? Yep, married to your son Nate, yeah. And uh, so Joey and I, back in 1991, were the first two guys that got sent out from Calvary Vista. And so um, Brian was very, very supportive. And a similar thing happened here, Jim, as what we saw at Costa Mesa in that it became a culture. I mean, we've had 31 or actually now 33 churches planted out of our church in the last probably 30 years. And um, yeah, it's been amazing, but it was sort of like the idea of when somebody would come on staff. um, Some guys I had to ask, like, I need you, I want you to make a four year commitment because they they would come on staff with a mentality of like, you know, I want to get trained up and sent out. You know, that was their mentality. And um, so, you know, some guys it would be a couple of years, but youth guys, I asked them to do like a four year, you know, commitment. Um, but yeah. it was it was neat to see that culture fostered because yeah. it's unfortunate, you know, there are some um, church cultures today where that isn't fostered, where it's almost, you know, I know some guys have said, if I ever mentioned to my senior pastor that I was thinking about leaving, they'd be fired on the spot mm-hmm. or like like right. it's disloyal or something. And, you know, I've tried to create a culture here that basically, I mean, I have that conversation very early in the hiring process with somebody, you know, mm-hmm. do you feel called to plant someday? Is that on your heart? 
Um, and if so, you know, I want to know that right now because, yeah. you know, I want to help. Uh, exactly. Me- or yeah. the minute it gets on your heart, I want to yeah. be able to yeah, know exactly. about it so we can. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I think, you know, having, you know, the, not just having a church planting culture, but having a culture where people are learning to listen to Jesus and do what God's called them to do. Amen. Whether it's, whether it's planting or whether it's going to be part of something, something else, whether it's stepping on the mission field or, you know, or, or you know, yeah. the, the majority of the people that we pastor are not going to be called to the full-time vocation of ministry. Yeah. But, to, but they need to learn that same kind of thing of like, how do I listen to Jesus and, and, you know, pastor care for my family and make decisions as to, you know, this job and this thing. And so I think just that whole environment being developed and listen, we want to learn to listen to Jesus. And then we want to help you do what you think it is that Jesus is calling you to do. Amen. But, but there are folks that I'm, I'm sure we've all had the experience of where, where something comes on, on in their mind or on their heart that they think that they want to do for the Lord, that we would say, hey, listen, you're free to do that. And, you know, by all means, if you think that's the Lord, do it. But that doesn't mean that Calvary Vero is doing that. Yeah, and so there, you know, there are guys that we could say, hey, you know, yeah, we think you, you know, you're sensing, you've been praying, we're, you're sensing this thing, and we're behind you, and then other guys where we would say, and so we're not going to stand in your way of doing that, but we as a fellowship don't feel like mm. that's the direction we're supposed to go, and yeah. so you, get, you know, we've had guys that go on the mission field that we've that we've been in complete support of and then other guys that we said hey if you feel like that's but what the lord's trying to do we're praying for you we love you but calvary zero is not making that investment yeah i think that's so wise i was having a conversation with brian broderson and you know he said the exact same thing um in terms of guys that we can affirm yes we see this and we're going to get behind it and times when you don't um, you know something else that I that I've learned is the the idea of you know um, when guys hey I've get a sense I'm called I want to go out um, but they put you know too it's too far out in, in the distant future mm-hmm. um, and and I think that's problematic for a couple of reasons one it's because hey you've heard from the Lord and and so so you know you're putting it out you're putting that date to go out too far. So I think there's a balance between saying, okay, you feel like you're called out, you're fired, go do it, you know, <laughs> versus saying, you know, okay, you're going to stick around for a year. Because what happens is um, inevitably they've got one foot in and one foot out. Right. And so I think yeah, that there's that right. balance of being able to say, hey, you know, I, I affirm what you're going to be doing and I'm not going to just, you know, turn my back on you and your family today and say, you know, knock, knock, who's there? Not you anymore. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I, at the same time, I am going to say, Hey, we need to get on this and get yeah. you, get you out sooner. And I, I've learned that yeah. the hard way with yeah. guys that I've sent out. Well, and I, I would add to that. I think there's a little bit of a culture in some of the younger generation today that doesn't want to take risks, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, when you went to Vero, Jim, I'm guessing you probably didn't get a much support, if any support, financially well, from Costa Mesa, did you? None. And, and yeah. actually, you know, and, and maybe this is, maybe this would be helpful for somebody, but, um, you know, someone came to me and said, hey, this person had recently gone out. And they talked to Chuck, and, and Chuck actually paid them the staff, their salary for X number of months. They said, if you went to Chuck, he'd probably do the same for you. And I don't know how much of it was my flesh, probably most of it. <laughs> but I said, I said, I don't want Calvary Costa Mesa to hold up what's happening in Nero. If, if it's the Lord, the Lord's going to have to take care of it. Wow. Now, part of it being my flesh is I was thinking, if this fails, I can come home. Yeah. And... Uh, but there was that that sense of just going like we're going to venture out we're going to see what god does right. and and i think that you know i'm not saying that like how heroic i am i'm i'm saying more as it was probably i was probably carnal for when i did that but there was at least the thing of saying hey we want to see what god's going to do we've heard these stories 
Yeah. You know, our, our libraries are full of stories of guys right. that ventured out. They're written after the fact, and so they, they seem to make sense. But in the process, they're just guys venturing out and seeing what God's going to do. And I think, you know, that that's that's how we want to approach ministry even now. Like, it, it, you know, you're doing Vista right now. You're in the same place, kind of. Yeah. You're sitting saying, I've got this community, and we think the Lord's telling us to do this, and let's venture out and see what happens. Right, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and I think you know I'm not opposed. In fact, we actually when we send guys out, we do support them. But yeah, and that can be super helpful. Yeah, I'm the, not saying that it isn't. yeah, yeah. The point that I was making though was just the sense of somebody can drag their feet, and I think I we yeah. see that a lot, right. you know, today. And what I was going to mention, you know, to the pastor who maybe you know has more of that hard line, doesn't want to see guys, you know, leave, um, you know, and, and that type of thing. You know, that they're, what Ted said is so true, is you have a guy who starts feeling a calling, you know, his heart is in going to be in two places, and yeah, yeah. he can start to become double-minded, and he's not going to be very useful, you know. And, and yeah. I had a guy ask me this one time, and he was a guy who had the same youth guy for 15 years, same worship leader for 20 years, and and he saw, you know, a plethora of guys, you know, going out of here. And he asked me, does that, that, that ever bother you? You know, you have these great guys and then they leave. And I said, you know, at first it did, but then I started thinking about, you know, if John Randall hadn't left here and we sent him, you know, to Florida, to Brandon, um, and I totally forgot about that connection of that's yeah, how you I got there. Yeah, you wouldn't be, be you wouldn't be in Florida, right? <laughs> um, but if we hadn't sent John, you know, to Florida, then Charlie Campbell never would have came on staff here because right. he followed John, you know, and you go down the line, you know, with uh, if Scott would have stayed here, Cunningham. Um, yeah. You know, that never would open up the door for Evan Wickham, you know, to come on yeah. or Jason Duff yeah. and some of these just incredible guys, you know, that God has, you know, use is using. And I just see it now when, you know, somebody is, you know, feeling that calling. It's like, OK, I'm, I'm like excited in the sense of like, OK, who are you going to bring in next? You know, who, <laughs> who's going to fill the, their shoes, so to speak? Well, like you, Rob, I was feeling, uh, you know, in a moment of sorrow. I'm like, Lord, why does why do people have to leave? Why can't they stay? And He spoke to my heart. He goes, "That's heaven. Heaven's where everybody stays. <laughs> Earth good. is where they deploy that's and true. go out." So, yeah. Yeah. that's awesome. You know, that's the the motto that we have in the Book of Acts. Anyway, you know, the Acts 13 picture is is the church sending their best. Yeah, yeah. And you know, they they choose it and. Uh, they choose to send Barnabas and Saul, and and then history tells us that that church didn't suffer. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the by, the early part of the fourth century, uh, and in crisis, Owen wrote that uh, the church in Antioch, or, or that rather, the churches in Antioch, that there were more than a hundred thousand believers in Antioch. <laughs> so it's like yeah. the model kind of works of um, letting people go. Um, one of the things, too, is you know, a friend of mine has, he's kind of has it as these are fixed positions and these are transient positions. And so as we're bringing people into something, this is something like we, we, we'd like to have some level of fixture here where in this role at, at the church, you know, a children's ministry director, we don't want that changing every six months. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but there's other roles where it's like these are, trans- these are training roles for sending. Yeah, and, uh, I think that's a good way to kind of use some of the things that even as you're, you're bringing guys in, um, you know, for someone who's, you know, hesitant about bringing somebody that they might lose. Well, that depends, you know, if, you're, if, you, have a, if you have a school on your campus, you probably don't want your principal to be there for right. 18 months. Right. So, yeah, there's 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 uh, people that you build on and there's people you build with. Um, so the people good. you build on are the people that are that are going to be staying for a while and not, you know, shaking. And then there's others that you're building with, with right. that with that open hand. Well, yeah. um, I, man, I wish we we had more time to talk about. It. We're gonna we're gonna have a bonus episode. And we're gonna talk more about uh, church uh, planting. Um, and we we touched lightly on on uh, support and because there's different models of how you support guys, how you send guys out. Uh, and so we'll be exploring that again uh, next week. 
Yeah, so Jim, thanks so much for being on the program with us and taking a part in this conversation. Really love you and just everything God's doing there yeah. in Vero. Well, I appreciate it. I hope it's helpful. Um, anything done, I said, please feel free to add it to that. <laughs> um, but, but for anybody who endured all the way to the end here, here's a, an, an interesting little anecdote, and that is, uh, when I, so I got saved in 1983, it was, it was January of 1986 that I really started walking with the Lord. And uh, I was invited to a home, home fellowship and the first home fellowship I ever had ever been to. Um, I'd only ever probably in eight Bible studies. Um, and I went to a home fellowship and, uh, Rob, you were, you were pastoring that home fellowship. Oh, wow. The Oxford, it was at the Oxford's house. Yes. And, uh, and that was like the entry door into me getting involved in the, in the youth ministry and serving along there. So thank you, Rob, for your investments in my life. Praise yeah, the Lord. And, and you married their daughter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not dumb. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. All right. God bless you, Jim. Thanks so much. God bless you, Jim. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Well, that concludes our conversation today with Pastor Jim Gallagher on the subject of church planting. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation. And if you did, would you please leave us a review? We would love to hear feedback as well. And please subscribe to this program if you're enjoying these conversations. I'm Rob Sabato. I'm Ted Leavenworth. And we'll catch you next time on the Leadership Collective Podcast.